Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Podcast. Today on the podcast, we've got an exciting guest for you. We've got Mr. Mike McKnight. And Mike McKnight, this earlier on this year, became uh, very popular in the endurance world as he managed to run 100 miles on no calories. But let's just hear a little bit about your backstory. So who are you, Mr. Mike McKnight, and what do you do? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, my name is Mike McKnight. I'm an endurance runner in Northern Utah. Um, I also have a wife and two kids. I have a day job where I work for a nonprofit organization that specializes in raising funds for orphans with Down syndrome um, to aid in their the, the adoption process, the expensive cost of that. Um, so yeah, I'm either working um, on trying to rescue some orphans with Down syndrome or I'm running or I'm spending time with my family. Um, I'm also recently getting into backcountry skiing, uh, being in Northern Utah, the, the winter is a time to either run a lot on the road, which I'm not a fan of <laughs> or pick up winter sports. So, so yeah, just overall love the outdoors and, and have an awesome family that I get to spend my days with. So have you always been an endurance athlete then? Have you always enjoyed running ever since a young age or is it something that's perhaps come to you later on in life? It came pretty, pretty later on. Um, so I'm, I just turned 31 and I, I grew up on a dairy farm here in Northern Utah. And so anybody that knows anything about dairy farms knows it's a pretty time consuming job to have. Um, not even a job, just like growing up on the farm. So it was basically my life. Um, so I didn't really get into, like I, I loathed, loathed being physically active when I was younger. Um, I was overweight, I ate a lot. I remember some friends tried getting me into mountain biking once and <clears throat> I made it maybe half a mile before I like convinced them to quit. And that I, like I bought them all a steak dinner, but that was my bribe to get them to quit. <laughs> so I, I, I hated um, endurance when I was younger. I, I started to run when I was 21. Um, I, I tried track in high school. I wasn't good at it. I came in last all the time. And so I just didn't really train for it just because I mean, I wasn't good at it, so so not training for it didn't help me not be better at it. But um, yeah, I just didn't appreciate it in high school. So I started I started when I was 21, found out about ultra marathoning a few short months later, and then did my first ultra um, about uh, about two years after I started running. So you obviously went on a bit of a fast track then you went straight from not really running at all to running and then yeah. straight into in ultra running as well. So obviously you began somewhere. So perhaps you began with a half marathon, something like that. And then what made you think, okay, so I can run and I'm enjoying this running from let's say a half marathon up to ultra running. What, what sort of turned your head and said, I like running. So I'm going to run more further, a lot further. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of my my introduction to ultra running is really weird. Um, I a lot of people that follow me know that I broke my back when I was 21. Um, so I actually broke my back shortly after I got into running in general. Um, I had surgery. I had a few rods and screws put into my spine. Um, it was pretty a big surgery, and my doctor told me that I would be in bed for about a year um, just because of how intense the surgery was. And so I ended up having to, I lost my job. I dropped out of my college class. Well, I like, I forget the term, but the, like there's an option with college where you can like defer your classes for a year. So I deferred my classes for a year. Um, 
long story short, I recovered miraculously fast. And I actually started running about three weeks after my surgery. Wow. <laughs> so um, basically like two months after surgery, I was like up and running every day again. Um, and because I didn't have a job, because I didn't have school anymore for a year, and because all my friends were in school, like I had nothing to do. So I just ran a couple hours every day just because I had nothing else to do. And then I got a new job about five months after my surgery. And somebody there was a friend of mine who knew I was like running a couple hours every day. And he knew somebody at work who was an ultra marathoner, which I hadn't heard of. I didn't know what ultra marathons were. So we, we got introduced to each other. He told me he was training for a hundred mile race, which um, actually took place in the area that I live. Um, and it's a small area. So the fact that I had never heard of it before, I thought was kind of like big. <laughs> I feel like everybody in this Valley knows everything about like all the events and everything that happened. So he told me about ultra marathoning, invited me to go running with him. Um, it was basically what I was already doing because I was already running a couple hours a day, except it was on trails, which was a lot funner. So just the, the fact that I just loved the trail running aspect so much, I, I just signed up for an ultra and, and did it. Um, and that was about a year and a half, a year and a half, a little bit less than a year and a half after my back surgery. So when you first got into all that running and, and you turned your head from not, not doing much running into thinking about doing endurance and ultra, did nutrition play a part in all of this at any point? Or was you just fo purely focused on just running and it didn't matter what, what you was putting in your body, your body managed to cope okay? Was there a point where you started to think, hang on a moment, maybe I could concentrate a little bit on nutrition? <laughs> Um, so it's kind of funny. I actually, I actually started to gain weight when I got into ultra running because I, um, are you familiar with Car Carl Meltzer, the speed goat? Yeah. 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 So he is, he lives in Utah, just like an hour from where I live. Um, so obviously like the more I got into running, he was a name that kind of popped up. He was kind of like a local celebrity, <laughs> um, in the, the ultra running world. And so I, I started reading articles about him and I came across one where somebody asked him about his nutrition <clears throat> and anybody that follows Carl knows that he's like beer, pizza, hamburgers. Like if he, if he wants to eat it, he'll eat it. So I took that approach. Um, and my, like, I wasn't healthy when I started ultra running. Um, based, like I, I did the standard American thing where I was eating ice cream and pizza and Basically, when I started ultra running, I like intensified that and just started eating a lot of ice cream, a lot of pizza, a lot of soda. And so I started to gain weight because of how many, how much calories I was eating. Um, anyway, that, that's kind of beside the point. Um, I, I started getting into the cycle <clears throat> um, with, with ultra running where I'd either bonk, um, like lose all my energy, or I would be puking um, just because I was theoretically eating the amount of calories I should have been eating, but my stomach just couldn't process it while I was running. <clears throat> so I was either puking or losing energy, puking, losing energy, learned about keto, the concept of not having to eat as much and still having a sustainable amount of energy. And that sounded very appealing. So that's when I tried to do keto. So basically I didn't follow any nutrition um, when I started and the whole reason I got into it was just because I was tired of that cycle and wanted to fix it.
So he was trying to look for a solution that uh, could potentially help you run further without bonking or maybe not be ill as you was running. I have I have yep. seen Carl's uh, Instagram page and, and followed him along for a while. And a lot of people just say, well, look at this guy, you know, he can eat what he wants and, and do what he wants. And uh, yeah, he's going to work for some people. You know, he trains hard all the time. So he's depleting his glycogen stores a lot. So he's yeah. just man- making sure that he fills those back up. Like you say, if he stopped training at any point or perhaps he come down on his training, then the weight would pile on without a doubt. <laughs> so um, talk a bit about then when you did alter your nutrition, what did, what things did you notice? Um, I mean, the quickest thing I noticed was that I lost <clears throat> weight pretty quickly. Um, and the amount of carbs I was eating, that was most likely water weight. Um, but so when I, when I started keto, I was about 190 and I'm 6'1". So it's not outrageous for how tall I am, but it was still on the heavier side, especially for a runner. Um, within a few weeks after starting keto, I dropped to about 170. So I lost 20 pounds. Um, a lot of that, like I said, was water weight. Um, cause a few months after adapting to keto, I gained weight to about 180. So, so yeah, the biggest thing I noticed was that I lost some weight. Um, and then the other big thing I noticed was the, the adaption phase. I, my, my performance suffered. Um, I was extremely tired. Um, and I, I think I was like a very carb dependent person because everything that I've read says the adaption phase takes like three to five weeks, three to six weeks. Um, I feel like I was adapting for up to four months where I just had no energy for about four months. Um, so my adaption phase was pretty long. Um, and then just looking back, I'm amazed that I stuck with it because that's like two times as long as what I read it should have been. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I just, I was patient with it and stuck through it and I'm, I'm happy I did because it's paid off a lot since then. Uh, but yeah, the, the two things I noticed was the weight loss and then just the low performance and like the low energy were the two big quick things. Yeah. Um, big up to you for sticking with it. Cause that's where a lot of people drop out and say, no, it's not for me. My performances are suffering or I'm unable to get the the um, nutrition into me that I need to be able to, to race and things. And people don't realize that you shouldn't be racing in adaption phases as well. So um, you say it took you a long time to adapt, like four, four months, six months, something like that. And yeah, I have seen out there, people say it could take as little as three weeks, but I think three weeks is on the, on the rare scale. I think if you, if you can do it in three weeks, then you're quite lucky to be able to do that, but it does take longer. And people have got to realize that it does take longer. But coming out the other side of that, there, there is benefits, like you say, and the benefits are within your training and within your day-to-day life. So tell us a bit about what the benefits are. Yeah, um, sleep better. That, that's a big thing for me. I, I'm a bad sleeper. I'm still not great, but it's helped quite a bit. I can sleep better. Um, and then just on the performance side of things, like I, you know, I started, it's been almost four years since I've started. <clears throat> Um, so I've been doing it for a while now and I haven't had any bonking issues. Um, I, I haven't, I, I haven't been able to have like perfect digestion in races. Like I still sometimes have an occasional stomach issues and, um, I don't think that keto ever claims to like completely eliminate stomach issues. Um, but in terms of like the bonking, yeah, I've, 
I've done multiple races in these four years and I've had no bonking issues. And like you said, recently did the zero calorie 100, um, had no bonking issues in that. I, I actually did yesterday was my birthday. So I did a 50 mile run yesterday and I, I, I took food with me, but I didn't end up eating any of it. Any of it. So like the fact that I can do multiple 50 miles to hundred miles without even having to eat anything. Um, that's huge for me because the two times I've done like the calorie list thing, like I have had no stomach issues. So I, I sometimes my stomach's just not good at digesting while I'm, I'm exercising. So, so yeah, the, the bonking has been huge. Um, lower stomach issues. The recovery aspect is, is huge for me. Um, you know, the whole part of low carb is trying to eliminate foods that are inflammatory. Um, so you know, infl inflammation is kind of a, an enemy to recovery. So uh, the fact that I've been able to eliminate those, m most of those inflammatory causing foods has really sped up my recovery, um, especially for like big back-to-back -back efforts. Like, you know, last year I did the, the three 200 mile races within a, the span of a couple months and I recovered just fine between those. So so I'd say the bonking the, or the lack of bonking and then the fast recovery is like the two biggest uh, benefits that I've seen from doing this. Yeah, And just great. not feeling like, oh, sorry. That's great. They're, they're super benefits. You know, if anybody was to pick something that they wanted to happen, it would be to be able to recover quicker from any race or any training program. And also to make sure you have the energy, as much energy as you like to get through what it is you want to do. You know, yeah. what, what, so what was your thought process behind running a hundred miles on no calories? Did you already know within you that it was possible or was you thinking, let me see if this is possible? Yeah, it was more of a, let me see if it was possible. Um, like in, in your studies, have you ever heard the research of doctors, Jeff Volick and Stephen Finney? Yeah. Well, so Jeff Volick, he's, he's a, um, advocate for low carb performance for endurance athletes. Um, he's done work with Zach Bitter before. Um, so he, he's actually an advocate for it. And I've seen him talk about how, like when I first started doing keto, I, I was friends with Zach Bitter and Jeff Browning who were low carb endurance athletes. And they referred me to the work of J Dr. Jeff Bullock. And so I started listening to his, like he has like lectures on YouTube and stuff like that. And he talked multiple times about how like every person has enough fat in their bodies to last them for like multiple days without having to intake any kind of food. And so when I first heard that, I started to wonder what that would correlate to for running. So like, for example, if he, I can't remember the exact number he said, but if he was like, everybody has enough fat on their body to last them for six days. That, and again, that's just an example. That's not what he said. Um, I wondered what that time frame would shorten to if somebody was being physically active. <clears throat> and so I started to wonder like, well, is a hundred miles short enough that I could go run and not consume any calories and still like not deplete my fat storage. Um, so I, I've had that question in my head for basically since I started keto in 2017. Um, and then just this year with COVID, all my races canceling and stuff, um, I was out doing a training run in March and I did a 50K without taking in any calories. 
and I felt fine after. And so it was just kind of that day where I was like, I'm going to try to run a hundred miles in a month and a half and see if I can not take in any calories. So, so I've always wondered it, but then just with COVID and everything, I just kind of like decided to do it. And then a month or so later, just went out and did it. <laughs> so do you think then potentially that you could go further, you could go longer on zero calories? Yeah. So it was actually, so I, I finished the hundred in uh, just under 19 hours. Um, so like, you know, it's not world record pace, but it was still like one, one of my faster 100s, especially there's about 5,000 feet of elevation gain. Um, can you hear my son, by the way? He's being really loud. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, this microphone is great, but it picks up everything. <laughs> um, so uh, what was I saying? I just distracted myself. Could you go further? Do you think you can go further? Oh, yeah, longer? Go further? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, when I finished, I finished just under 19 hours. I had great energy still. So I was like, okay, I may, next time I do this, I'm going to try and go 24 hours. Um, but like I said, yesterday was my birthday. Um, and I, so I, so yeah, yesterday was Monday here in, I forget what time it is where you're at, but right now it's early morning, Tuesday, yesterday, Monday was my birthday. So Monday at midnight, um, I, I went for this 50 mile run. Um, the previous night was Sunday. I didn't go to sleep or anything. So I just, you know, kind of pulled an all nighter and went for a run. I didn't end up eating any calories. Um, and like the, I was, I was, I was pretty tired, um, because of the no sleep aspect. Um, and then not consuming any calories, just really fast tracked that fatigue, I think. So where I did the fasted or the zero calorie 100, um, I started at six and I finished at 1130. So I had a full night's sleep and then I was able to finish in time to get another full night's sleep. So zero calories while being sleep deprived, um, at least in my experience with that yesterday, kind of is not a good combination. <laughs> so, so I wonder how much slower I would have gone like a couple of hours if the, if the zero calorie 100 took a little bit longer, um, I feel like I would have really slowed down quite a bit with, you know, pairing with that sleep deprivation, if that makes sense. So yeah, I think you can go further, but I think that your pace will go down quite a bit factoring the sleep deprivation in. So you think that uh, potentially the barrier to going further longer could be sleep. <laughs> that could be yeah. it. You know, you <laughs> think your body could probably go further, could probably go longer. If we didn't have to sleep, you could, probably go infinite amount of time yeah. <laughs> until you had to refuel but um and, then, you know, and i wonder too, like because last night when i or yeah yesterday when i was doing the 50 mile with no calories i at one point wanted to take some caffeine but then i was like huh would that be like a true zero calorie like you know so it's like maybe if you can take caffeine pills then you'll be fine but like if you're just truly just wanting to stick to water and electrolytes, I think that'd be hard with the sleep deprivation. It's amazing what the human body is capable of and what it can do if you was to push it to its limits. But yeah. a lot of people that listen to this podcast um, are still perhaps trying to do their first half marathon or, or even a marathon. And they're considering 
bring in as many calories with them as they can, stacking their waist full of gels and, and chews and things to get them through a race. So what could you say to them to say, look, perhaps if you train, train correctly, then you wouldn't have to start on the start line with all these gels and, and all this energy that your body already has. Um, yeah, you know, I'm still trying. I know it's that zero calorie 100 is like earlier this year. So it's been um, like eight months. I'm still trying to process my whole thoughts on um, running with no calories. Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm like trying to start a revolution where I'm like trying to get everybody to go calorieless. Um, yeah, I, so I do, there are people like me, like, cause I don't know how much you are following it, but I got some negativity for doing that. Um, specifically from like dietitians and nutritionists, like saying that fasting, like, especially for women messes with their home hormones a little bit more than men, but just basically like fasting and sports performance is dangerous. Um, and I get what they're saying. There's really like, it's kind of like the whole keto low carb thing. We're still in that phase where there's like a lot of negativity towards it. And um, a zero calorie 100, like that's just, there's not, from what I've seen, no one's done that. So like there was a lot of negativity from the, that side of the world. Um, so I get where it's coming from, but like people need to realize there are people like me who do better eating less just because my stomach does not do good with exercise and trying to digest my food. So for people who are like trying to lower the amount of calories and carbs that they're eating in races, um, I don't think it's a bad thing to have food with you. Um, like I said, when I did it last night, I had food with me. I just didn't eat it. So you don't want to get in a pickle where it's like, I really need some food right now and you don't have it. Um, but for people who are like trying to lower the amount of calories they're eating and maybe even try to do like a marathon or a 50 K without taking in any calories, whatever distance they're looking at, like the, the biggest thing that I would have with that is just being, um, being as strict with keto as you can for one thing. Um, like, I feel like I'm going all over with this, what I'm trying to say, but like, <clears throat> I, I do a mix of keto, low carb, OFM, which is optimized fat metabolism, um, primal blueprint, paleo. So depending on how much I'm training, I'm fluctuating how many carbs I'm getting. Um, the amount, the max amount of carbs I'm getting in a day is still quite a bit less than like a standard American diet, but it's more than a strict keto diet. So if you're looking to like lower your, like the calorie thing and be as strict as you can with keto. So you're super fat adapted. Um, and then just play with like intermittent fasting in your day-to-day -day as well. Um, like when I was prepping for that zero calorie 100, I did intermittent fasting every single day. I was doing an 18-6, so fasting for 18 hours, eating for six. And I made sure to time that my window as close to my run as possible. So every day, the final two hours of my fast was my run. So I was running in a 16-hour fasted state. So I was just getting my body used to it. So just getting your body used to it, slowly build it up. Don't just like go all in one day and say, I'm going to go 32 miles without eating anything. Like just kind of like play with it mess with it, have food with you to, as a backup in case there's issues. Um, but yeah, like I, I'm not trying, I'm not going to start doing all my races without calories. Like, <clears throat> like there are benefits to it. Like um, 
zaps of energy, for example, like even if you consistently can do hundred miles of zero calories, like there are points where my pace could have picked up tremendously if I had some food to eat. So, so yeah, the whole roundabout of what I just did is like, I'm not advocating that everybody start running calorie lists, but if you are trying to lower that a little bit, then just be strict with keto and, and, um, time your training runs as close to you can with like on the lower end of your eating cycle, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's great. I think like you said there in the middle, it's all about being metabolically flexible, being able to sometimes call on the carbohydrates if you need them, if you want them, and sometimes being able to run just on your fat stores. Um, But as in terms of training, like you say, you've got to adapt to this because of the things like the negativity and that, that you got from your, from your run. I understand also where they're coming from because they are two separate stressors on the body. You've got the, the fasting on one side and the exercise on the other side. So really you're just smashing two acute stresses together, which could end up in trouble. But because like yourself and, and I advocate is if you're going to do uh, things like this, like even to keto fat adapt, then you must do the training. You must do that time. As we spoke about earlier, it took you four months. It takes some people less, takes some people more. But if you can put in that training and, and teach your body how to react to these acute stresses, then that's the way to do it. And also you, you touched on it a bit, like when you're training, perhaps you're working at a lower intensity. So that helps your body be able to be in fat burning mode more. And when you're racing, would you agree that maybe you do need more carbohydrates? Yeah. Yeah. And it depends on the distance too. <clears throat> like if I'm going to go out and do a fast 50 K then I'm probably almost getting as many carbohydrates as like a non-fat adapted athlete is um, just because you're going through your glucose on those shorter, faster races. But like at a 200 mile race, um, <clears throat> like you're, you should never be in an anaerobic state in a 200 mile race. Um, you should be at a low intensity and like aerobic ceiling at max um, to get you to the finish line. So for a 200 mile race where you're like already super low, probably barely touching, touching your glycogen storage, like those kind of races are probably the, those races are the ones for me where I take a lot less carbohydrate and just more focus on calorie dense type foods to get me to the finish. So depending on the distance, the shorter it is, the more carbohydrates, the longer it is, the less need for those carbohydrates, in my opinion. Yeah. And that's relevant to everybody. So some people yeah. are running a marathon is going to be the longest they ever do. So perhaps right. then, you know, so taking your analogy of 200 miles, that's their marathon, you know, their marathon is going to be at that extreme. So they're obviously racing lower. So perhaps they don't need as many carbohydrates as they would if they were running a half marathon, let's say, as they were going faster. It's difficult for that to settle into some people because they think, oh, no, I'm going further. I'm doing a marathon. But but perhaps the pace is coming, your pace is coming down a bit. So you won't deplete your glycogen stores as readily or as quickly. So if you train yourself again, like we said, going back to training, if you train yourself to burn your fat stores, then you've always got that backup. If your glycogen was to run out, if your fuel, if your fast carbohydrates were to run out, then you've always got that backup of that fat that you could lean into and burn to get you over the finish line, i.e. don't bonk, as you said earlier yeah. on. <laughs> so talking about then, that's that's the training side of it but talking about the nutrition side of it once you have gone through the fat adaption stage and you're more into keto and you're looking more into the nutrient dense foods and things like that then on an everyday sort of basis 
you, you are going to be doing maybe a little bit of training, but what, what do you eat? Do you eat more some days than other days or do you try and keep it very similar? <clears throat> yeah. So I, like I said, I'm a mix of everything, carnivore, keto, OFM, primal blueprint. Um, on, so Sunday is usually my recovery day. I don't run or do anything really, except just spend time with my family on Sundays. And so on Sundays, it's typically like a very strict keto or carnivore day, like <clears throat> no carbs to little carbs, just because I don't really need the carbs for that day because I'm not exercising. Um, Saturday is my long run day. Um, I'm usually running anywhere from three to six hours on Saturdays. On those days, I'm usually getting about 150 grams of carbohydrates, um, which, like I said, is quite a bit less than standard, but quite a bit more than keto. And so on like a long run day, I usually, like, I usually don't ever have breakfast. I usually don't ever eat before my runs. Um, there's no particular reason besides I don't want food. To, I don't want to try to digest my food just because my stomach has a hard enough time digesting the food I eat while I'm running. The last thing I want is to try and digest a meal. So I usually don't eat before my long runs on Saturday. And then when I finish, like, you know, I usually have, I, I, it's called, it's called, um, I forget what I call it. <laughs> um, but basically like when I finish a run, I'll have like a chicken breast, a fruit smoothie. So like some strawberries, maybe a little banana, some almond milk, um, some like hundred percent grass fed whey protein powder mixed in the smoothie. So I usually have like a lean piece of chicken, like right after my long run and then have a little bit higher carbs, um, right after the run. Um, just because of the whole carb timing thing, like closer I do it to my, to my run, the more likely I'm going to be replenishing my glycogen. Um, and then throughout the day, um, I'll maybe have another smoothie, um, like a couple hours later for dinner that night, I'll have, uh, like a big old piece of red meat. Um, whether it's like 80, 20 ground beef, a ribeye, a sirloin, um, and then usually like some dark green veggies. Um, I, I try to like... So like if I'm going to have more carbs for a meal, whether it's a, a fruit smoothie or a sweet potato, then I make the protein lean. So like if it's going to be higher carb, I don't want to have a bunch of fat with that meal. If I'm going to have a bunch of fat for that meal, so like a thick ribeye, then it's going to be lower carb. Um, just so I'm not confusing my body with like lots of fat, lots of carbs. Like I want to give them one fuel source to focus on when I'm eating. Um but I, I've just kind of gotten to the point where like my meals are pretty much the same every single day. Um, I love, I love chicken and fruit for my high carb meal. And then I love steak and green veggies for my low carb meal. <laughs> um, on the off occasion I have breakfast, it's usually a bunch of eggs and nothing else. I usually make my breakfast hundred percent carnivore um, and then save my carbs for my run later on in the afternoon. So um, I don't know if that made sense, but I ate a lot of the same foods just, steak chicken green veggies and eggs yeah that's great that's what i always say to people as well is when you when you want your carbohydrates is after your exercise because then it goes straight into replenishing those glycogen stores rather than going anywhere else in the body and storing itself as fat and i like the way you say as well that you only eat lean protein you don't eat the fats with your carbohydrates because that's obviously where we're going wrong in the old processed food market. A lot of things are just stuffed with carbohydrates, sugars, fats on top of it as well. So your body doesn't know what's going on, ends up storing the whole lot. And then that's obviously yep. when you get all your adipose tissue fat, all your fat and everything stored like that. 
So I'm presuming then that you don't really eat much processed food or, or gels or bars or, or things like that, perhaps when racing gels, bars, but, but processed food in general perhaps doesn't feature in your diet. Are you one who, who likes to get in the kitchen and cook a lot? Yeah, I like cooking. Um, the only like processed food that I eat, like I take um, one of my sponsors is Primal Kitchen. Um, so I take like a collagen bar, um, but Primal Kitchen for, if have you heard of Primal Kitchen? Yeah, it's Max Sissons, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, their company is really good at like using clean ingredients. So even though it is processed, like I trust, like I I know what all the ingredients are and I trust it. So, but yeah, Yeah, that's that's really good processed food because he comes from a keto background anyway, doesn't he? So make sure that he doesn't ram it with, I mean, some bars, gels are just, is basically just sugar, but his type are obviously sweetened with sweeteners instead. Yeah. So yeah, I, I trust what they use. And then, like I said, I use some whey protein, um but again it's like ingredients that i know and trust um but yeah I, i'm usually cooking um everything that i eat i uh and that is what like um that is one thing that i've really appreciated about this diet <clears throat> um before i started it and it, i try not to use the word diet i like most people like view it as a lifestyle um I'm kind of at the point where like, like, I don't really crave anything besides what I eat now. So like, it's like in that aspect, it's not a diet. I'm not restricting anything. I'm eating what I want to eat. Uh, but when I first started keto um, or before I started keto, me and my wife, like we probably ate out four, four times a week. And it was usually like fast food type stuff. Um, like I rarely cooked. And if I did cook, it was just like pasta, like something I could throw on the stove and um <laughs> heat up some sauce and call it good but like ever since doing keto low carb like um i, I view myself as, as a cook now <laughs> um, I, I love cooking food i love throwing stuff together and um rarely eat out anymore just because it costs twice as much and i can make it for make it even better <laughs> at my own house <laughs> i think it tastes so much better as well you know if you was oh, yeah. to get something from the supermarket i don't know let's say some kind of pate or something and you don't know what's in it if you was to do it yourself then it just tastes so much better and you know like you said yourself you know the ingredients in it and and companies that you trust as well you want you need to know the ingredients in it because like you say if you did ever have a problem out or anything then you could pinpoint it to something like that if you're cooking it yourself then it's your own fault if you put something in there that's giving you a problem because yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing too that i've realized over the past four years is like even if you think you're getting something clean at a restaurant um, like i can't like there's i can't remember what it was but there's this product i was getting when we'd go out to eat um it was like off of a salad bar or something and when i was eating it i was like oh yeah this is keto and then somehow somebody, my, somehow I found out that that thing I was eating, that the restaurant was adding gluten to it, which I like try to avoid at all costs. And like, like it's a, it was something that was like, I never would have imagined that they would be adding gluten to it. And I don't know why they would to be like, even to today. So even if you think you're getting something like clean and good at a restaurant, like there's a chance you're not just because they're adding stuff to it that you don't know about. So so, yeah, yeah, I think I think unless the restaurant's actually telling you um, all the ingredients that are in your food that you're getting, I know some of them now, especially in the UK, are putting calories on the menus, but none of them tell you the ingredients of what's in yeah. anything, especially sauces. That's a big one. 
Um, but if they're not telling you these things, then just assume that there's something in there that's probably not going to be great for you, especially yeah. especially things like, yeah, you call it canola oil. We have it over here. It's rapeseed oil. Everything that you usually get cooked in a restaurant is cooked in these type of oils, which can really cause havoc in your body if your nutrition's not up to speed, if you're not low carb, if you're not getting enough uh, omega-3, then these seed oils are omega-6s and they can cause stomach issues and a lot of problem. I don't know how much you know about the uh, seed oh, yeah. oil issue, but if you're cooking a lot in these type of seed oils or ingesting a lot of omega-6, then that tends to be the reason why a lot of people struggle on keto because they're having processed food. Because keto nowadays... I don't know if you've heard the term dirty keto, but yeah, that's obviously there. Yeah, you, you, people getting baked goods and, and things that have the name keto in, in uh, air quotes, you know, on them. And keto then when friendly. keto friendly, yeah. And you look at the yeah. ingredients and there are things like these uh, seed oils or, or it's perhaps uh, produced in, in a way which is not friendly to things like gluten or, or if you're allergic to nuts. So you really do have to be careful with the ingredients. And that's where it brings it back to making your own, cooking your own or, or coming across companies that you trust. It's really, really good. Yeah. So, uh, so what's next for you then, Mike? What's, what are your plans for the future? Do you, you, obviously, there's, there's not much racing going on at the moment. Are you just constantly training at the minute? What's, what's going on? Yeah, well, like I said, I'm starting to do the skiing right now. So it's kind of the off season, but um northern utah gets pretty cold in the winter so i i'm gonna start doing a little bit more treadmill running um so just to like try to utilize that i am gonna go for a record on the treadmill early next spring just like i said so i can utilize my treadmill training um and then this year too like with the whole colorado fkt that i just did the colorado fastest known time i kind of given me the bug for those larger trail FKT attempts. So I have a buddy, I don't know, have you heard of Ben Light? We tag each other quite a bit. And I have, yeah, but I don't, uh, I don't follow him much, but I have heard of him, yeah, in the, in the ultra running scene, yeah. So he has an idea that um, we're playing with, but early next spring as well, after my treadmill thing, um, there's a trail over here called the Arizona Trail. It's about 800 miles. Um, he wants to do this thing where, he starts at one end of the Arizona trail and I start at the other end <laughs> and then we both race each other to get to the other side to try to set an FKT. So, um, we're working on making that happen. Um, I'm looking into the Appalachian trail in a couple of years. Um, yeah, I, I just, I I've learned over the years that the longer it is, the better I'm able to do at it. The shorter it is, the worse I do. <laughs> so just finding all those big trails that I can go do and, yeah, 200 miles to 2,100 miles if I do the Appalachian Trail, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's, that's something great for how people look out for that. So do you, do you focus any uh, on strength or anything like that then during your off-season? Yeah, I do it during the on-season too. Yeah. Um, I usually strength train three days a week. Um, and then for me, like, it's like I usually do, like I said, three days a week, usually 40 to 50 minutes. Um every like each each of those three days I always start with like a core exercise thing that I do where I work on my core for 15 minutes and then I do a bunch of like push-ups pull-ups um wall sits banded lateral walks um some very light dumbbell squats um I got 15 pounds to 20 pounds like more or less just working on my range of motion and 
and working on firing those muscles that I don't use when I'm running. Um, I'm not trying to like get any kind of mass. It's just like working on my range of motion, but yeah, I do that three times a week. And ever since I've started doing that, um, you know, I'm a huge believer in strength training just because I used to have IT band issues all the time. Um, I rarely, ever since doing strength training, I've rarely had any issues with my hips or my glutes or hamstrings. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. Yeah, that's great. I'm pleased you said that because uh, there's some triathletes as well that listen to this podcast and trying to build in some strength routine into the already busy swimming, biking and running. Uh, the look at you gone out as if to say, no, I don't need that. I'm already doing my three times three exercises that I need to be doing per week. But it's so important to build in for, for a runner, for a triathlete, even for a cyclist and a swimmer to build in those strength exercises into your training simply because it helps your body not to break down during a race for one. Yeah. Helps you recover quicker too. Um, yeah. Like the biggest, the biggest thing I've seen with runners, myself included is like knee issues, it band issues. And like, <clears throat> you know, if you like the, the thing that made me realize it the most, I, I had an it band issue like two years ago and it like, I was, I couldn't run. It was really hard to, to run and just like walking around my IT band hurt so much. So Jeff Browning, he um, told me to try doing five minutes of wall sits a day. Um, not necessarily like all at once, just like five minutes space throughout the day. So I did that for like a month and then my IT band issues went away and I just kept doing the wall sits and never got IT band issues. So that's when I like really started like, you know, okay, maybe doing stuff that's not just running might benefit me. So that's when I started implementing all the other stuff and, um, I, I just, I've, I, ever since doing that, I just haven't really had to take time off due to injury. So it's, um, I, I used to think that way that the, like spending 40 minutes of strength training or spend an extra 40 minutes of running, like I'm going to do an extra 40 minutes of running, but not anymore. Uh, like if you're, if you find yourself in that situation, like strength training is very beneficial for your performance. Yeah, true. I think that's more the case as you as you get older as well. I think yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I'm mine. I'm 37, so I'm a little bit older than you. And uh, strength training is really helping me too. Um, but when you was younger, you didn't perhaps focus too much on that. But I, I think anybody yeah. who's looking to stay in their particular sport or be as good as they were when they were younger in their particular sport, it's important to add in strength training, uh, like you say, three times a week if you can, um, into any training program. So that's great to hear you say. I'm pleased about that. <laughs> um, now um what would you say to anybody who's starting to pick up running i've got a few people who now are starting to follow me who are just picking up running and they they want to know why they can't run every day straight away they want to know why they can't go out there and oh, i did it i did let's say a five mile so i'll now i want to do a five mile again tomorrow and five mile again tomorrow sometimes they feel that more is better and perhaps you could tell us why that's maybe not necessarily the case when you first start out. Yeah, I used to be the same way too. Um, and ever since I like shifted my mind from that focus, like I really started to notice I performed better. Um, so <clears throat> there's a big, I see a big issue throughout like different Facebook groups that I'm in and just like talking to people. There's this mentality where it's like, no off day, no rest day. Like you got to go hard every single day. And like, if you're trying to better yourself, like from a mental standpoint and 
like you just want to challenge yourself, then yeah, that might approach that that approach might be like work for you. But if you want to perform and run well, that's not the approach you should have. Um, so I try to tell people who are just starting out to like not view it as a rest day, but to view it as a recovery day. Recovery is a part of training. If you're not trying to recover, then you're doing it wrong. And that's including like stretching, foam rolling, all that jazz. So view a rest day as a recovery day. Um, and then, I mean, yeah, like if, you, if you're going to be pushing yourself hard every single day, then you're going to burn out um, just like it is with anything in life. Like if you're working hard seven days a week and not spending time with your family, then you're going to hate your job. Um, you just like balance, balance recovery. Like it's super important for, for training. Um, like the biggest advice that I would have though, is to just be consistent with your training. Um, so focus on quality over quantity. Like if you want to run, if you want to run six days a week, seven days, like even seven days a week, if you want to run seven days a week, like be consistent, but keep the mileage lower. Um, and the consistency is what is going to help you perform better. Um, I don't advocate, like I said, for seven days a week, but if you're going to do that, make sure it's low intensity, lower mileage, and just be consistent. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You touched on it there just at the end, low intensity is what it's all about too much. You see people running even five, six days a week at a high intensity, and it's just going to catch up with you. Your body's going to break down. You're not going to be able to um, recover well enough to be able to continue that long term. And when it comes to your races, you probably find you've got nothing left. So if you are training a lot of days through the week without without proper rest or even recovery i think you need at least a day anyway no matter what sort of level you are i mean you you have your own day which is great and um it's just low intensity i'm sure when you are running there even do, like you say doing your 100 miler and doing your 50 mile through the middle of the night you wasn't running as fast as you possibly can it's low yeah. intensity just putting it in there making sure that all your muscles in your body can absorb that training otherwise what's the point in doing it right yeah. One of my favorite workouts. So I, I do coaching. Um, one of the, my favorite workouts for the people I coach and for myself, they're called aerobic ceiling runs. Um, basically it's like a type of run where you're like kind of at that max of being aerobic, where if you go harder, you're going to be an anaerobic. Um, so if you're sticking in that aerobic zone, your aerobic ceiling, you're getting a good workout in but because it's aerobic, you're going to be able to recover quicker and get back out of the next day. So like, I'm very much a fan of the run slower to get faster approach. Yeah. Some people may have heard it of being called the math method. That's yep. uh, the math tone. Yeah. That's the same sort of thing. But do you yep. believe then that on the other end, that even as an endurance athlete, you should incorporate some speed work in there too? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think speed work should be done just not every week um <clears throat> depending on like the this type of season i usually recommend like sp a speed week once sometimes twice a week or no, sorry once sometimes twice a month um and if it is going to be twice a month to have like an easy week in between um but i mean like speed work for me and for the people i coach it's like very little amounts of time is going to be spent dipping into anaerobic like the overall pace and the overall heart rate at the end is still going to be aerobic, but there's just going to be short bursts, like 
30 to 90 seconds where you're going to go like half marathon pace and then go back to an aerobic pace for like five minutes and then 30 seconds back to anaerobic. So you're dipping into it and you're working on that turnover, but it's still going to be an overall anaerobic run when you finish. Yeah, it's important, again, to be able to build that engine if and when you need it. As well, it's relevant to yourself. So if you're doing perhaps shorter races, then you need to make sure that maybe you do a few more training sessions just to ensure that your, your top end is there. Never forget it. So I always say, never forget it. Always make sure it's in there somewhere. And like, and like you say, even if you're doing a, a hundred miles, constant hundred miles, then you still have it in there once, once or twice a month, which is great. Yeah. yeah so... Well, that's been great talking to you today, Mike. I think we've got a, a hell of a lot of information out there for all our people listening. And I'm pleased to kind of on similar thought lines along a lot of things as well, which is great. So if you could say one thing then to most of our listeners, and we have triathletes, we have uh, runners, and we also have the general public, some people who aren't that, that interested in exercise, perhaps their biggest exercise is just to go out with a dog and, and walk around the block every day. So if you could say to them one thing that that could help their lifestyle, whether it be nutrition, training, exercise, whatever it be, what do you think that one thing that could help their everyday lifestyle could be? Um, I mean, just find something that you enjoy um, is something that I would say because um, I, I talk, I've been talking about this a lot lately in some of the podcasts I've been on, like, you know, there's just some people out there that have been trying for even years to like running that just don't. And I mean, that's okay. Like if you don't like running, then don't be a runner. Um, my, my sister's husband and their children, they're all mountain bikers and they could crush me on a mountain bike ride. Um, I could crush them on a run. They hate running. I don't hate mountain biking. I think it's fun to do for recovery and um, stuff like that. But it's like, like they're mountain bikers and I'm a runner. So if you're not into running, like don't feel like you should be just find something that, that you do enjoy, whether it's walking every day, whether it's riding your bike, whether it's skiing, whatever it is, like, like you should like these types of like quote unquote exercises shouldn't be viewed as just exercises. It should be viewed as something that you enjoy. So find something that you enjoy and be sure that you're doing it to enjoy it don't make it like a punishment or a, I have to do this. So yeah, just enjoy what you're doing. Yeah, that's great. I think like you say, if, if you're enjoying it, then you don't think about it as exercise anyway. You just think yeah. about it as it's your life. That's what you do. So <laughs> that's great. That's a brilliant answer. And, and I think uh, like, I would say like on that note, like there are going to be some days it's harder, like you're more tired, it's cold outside and you might not enjoy that specific workout. And that's still good to do because like there's going to be moments and races that you're not going to enjoy it. And if you're just making it all about the comfort, then you're probably not going to finish a lot of your races because it gets uncomfortable, but overall you should enjoy like the hobby, the, the sport that you're doing. Yeah. And, and as, as well, if, if people just want to think what, what is this keto, what is this nutrition these guys are talking about? Do you think perhaps it could benefit everybody just to perhaps go a little bit lower keto a little bit lower carbs sorry even if they didn't want to get all the way to keto and that they've seen perhaps negative things about keto do you think a lower carb approach even for somebody who's training a lot could be something they could look at and maybe benefit them in in the long term um so i'm, I'm not a i'm not a nutritionist um so a lot of this is just like my own personal opinion obviously 
Um, I will say maybe not lower carb, but lower processed foods. Um, and you know, with that, the lower carb will come. So yes to your question, but I think like the biggest thing people need to focus on is like a lower processed food approach. Um, and then yes, I do think they could benefit from that. I mean, cause you have like somebody like Jim Walmsley, um, that guy like can run fast for like, you know, he did Western States 100 in under 15 hours. Um, it was like lower 14s. Um, that guy, like Hayden Hawks too, like these guys are like running, like Hayden Hawks just did the JFK 50 miler in um, five hours or something crazy. Oh, wow. <laughs> like I was looking at his Strava splits and like, there was like a, like some stupid, like 12 mile stretch in the middle of this race where he was running sub sixes. So it's like that guy, I, I'm not going to tell him to lower his carbohydrates because <laughs> whatever he's doing is working for him. Yeah. So I do believe that like everybody's bodies reacts differently to carbohydrates and stuff like that. But I do think too, that, um, just as a society, we way too much processed junk. So, so yes to your question, but also in a more roundabout way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I know where you're coming from there. And, and anybody who listens to my podcast and has heard me speak before, that's basically all I talk about is get rid of your processed food and just introduce food. That's more nutrient dense. You're going to get a lot more from it and your body's going to thank you. And like you said earlier, you, you, recovery and things like that become a, a lot, a lot better. And perhaps, you know, you think thoughts and you, your brain's going to work a lot better with all, out all that mixture of high carbs and high fat from the processed food you get. Yeah. Usually like when somebody approaches me to be coached, um, specifically on like keto, I usually say like, spend the next month not eating breads and pasta. Don't worry about your carbohydrate, like eat as much fruit as you want, eat as much potato, like not French fries, but like good clean potatoes, like eat as much of that stuff as you want. Don't count your carbohydrates, but eliminate that stuff first and then see how you do. And then we'll work together. So, um, I don't think carbs are bad. So, but, um, so yeah, yeah so it's, 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 it's the that. process thing. It's the process yeah. thing that does it really into it's all the process stuff. So like you say, if you can just eliminate all that processed stuff, then perhaps you'll find yourself in a more lower carb diet just naturally. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Half, half, half of everybody's carbohydrates are just coming from that processed junk and they don't even realize it. Yeah. Like everybody's like, Oh, I love fruit too much. And I'm like, I, I bet you, you're not eating as much fruit as you think you are. <laughs> like I still eat fruit. Um, and I can be low carb still eating fruit. So, so yeah, most of it's the processed junk that people are getting their carbs from. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's too, too many arguments out there about real food. I think if you are eating real food, like you say, your fruit and your vegetables, then it's very hard to be high carb just on yeah. <laughs> real food, fruit and vegetables. So yeah, that, that's great. And uh, thank you very much for your time today, Mike. That's been absolutely brilliant. If people want to uh, follow along with you and join in all these amazing things that you're doing, then uh, whereabouts can we follow you? Yeah, I'm the low carb runner on or sorry, low carb the low carb runner on Instagram, and then my website is lowcarb-runner.com. Um, yeah, those are the two main places, and I'm on Facebook as Mike McKnight. Brilliant, that's great, and uh, hopefully we'll get some people following along with you and seeing those great things you're doing, putting it out there. I wanna I wanna keep up with it, and I wanna see how you get on with that arizona <laughs> from end to end that'd be brilliant <laughs> yeah ben light's the other guy ultra light 
007 is his Instagram. So are you going out to beat Ben then, or are you just trying to set a record for both of you from each way? So the original goal was to like go different ways and each set an FKT, but um, I guess the FKT rule on the Arizona trails is just one overall FKT. All right, all right. It's not multi-directional. So now it's turned into, we're going to go against each other. <laughs> uh, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. Cause then that makes it something totally different to your hundred miler then, doesn't it? Because yeah. then you're constantly thinking like, you got to speed up. <laughs> yeah. I want to propose to him though, like the Colorado trail. There's right, four yeah. different FKTs for the Colorado trail. There's four different ones. I'm like, if we want to do the whole go against each other and I'll go for a different FKT, then we should do me, him, maybe Courtney to Walter, <laughs> and one other person might each start and then I'll go against each other, but I'll try to get an FKT. So yeah, yeah. yeah we'll see what happens. <laughs> That'd be great. I'll keep a lookout for that and uh, urge everybody listening to go follow it. It's something exciting to keep going. <laughs> thank you very much for your time today, Mike. Yeah, thank you. A great chat there with Mike. Mike is an exceptional athlete and it's important to remember he's worked his way up to what he does. Don't think you can go out there and easily run miles or exercise a lot on zero calories. It takes time to adapt to be a fat burner and everyone is different. Everyone will take a different amount of time to adapt. But once you can utilize your body's biggest energy source, your athletic and everyday health potential will dramatically increase. Give him a follow to see his future exceptional feats of endurance that he's got planned. And if you like this podcast, please go leave a rating and a review to help others find it. Now, I'm really excited to let you know of a guest I've really wanted to speak to ever since I started these podcasts and somebody who really helped me begin my journey. Next week, Mr. Benjamin Bickman, PhD, lays it all out for us, the absolute real science of nutrition and lifestyle. It's a great one to look forward to. So remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you need further help, check out humannutritionlifestyle.com for recipes and the services we offer. But Thanks for listening. Be happy. Stay safe. And I'll see you next time.